We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 407 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, September 26th, 2022. Well, the good news is that the Washington Post on Saturday came out with a report saying that uh, NFL owners' attitudes towards Commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder have hardened. According to the report, multiple NFL owners believe that, quote, serious consideration may be given to attempting to oust Snyder from the league's ownership ranks, either by convincing him to sell his franchise or by voting to remove him, end quote. So we on Saturday had that, but then we on Sunday afternoon had the buzzkill, had what happened at FedEx Field, a.k.a. Lincoln Financial Field South. The commanders falling to 1-2 with a 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. 24-8. The Eagles scored all 24 of their points in the second quarter. The commanders scored all eight of their points in the fourth quarter. A strange game, an atrocious game for the commander's offense. I think that Carson Wentz may have just gotten sacked again. Hello and welcome to a commander's postgame show Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. You know what else we have going on with our football team? Uh, it's on Sunday revealed that the mascot choice is down to a hog or a dog. Uh, the commanders had originally proposed uh, four options for fans to vote on in terms of the mascot sweepstakes, hog, dog, historical figure, and superhero. Well, historical figure and superhero are out. We are down to hog and dog. The official commander's mascot will be revealed on New Year's Day during the team's Week 17 home game against the Cleveland Browns. Interestingly, the commander's on that day, we'll be honoring 
the Hogs, the all-time great offensive line units of the 1980s and early 1990s. So wouldn't it be fitting for the new mascot to be Hog and to be unveiled on January 1st as the Hogs are honored? Of course, the mascot should be a Hog and not a Dog. This seems set up for Hog to win, which I guess is okay, but whatever. Why are we even talking about this? 24-8 was the final to the Eagles on Sunday afternoon. Coming up on the show, in-depth reaction to an analysis of a discouraging and demoralizing loss for the Commanders on Sunday afternoon. Uh, This was really off-putting. I hated to see the team play as the team played offensively. Uh, Defensively, I actually thought was another story, but I will talk about quarterback Carson Wentz. I will talk about the Commanders' offensive line. I will talk about Commanders' offensive coordinator Scott Turner. I will talk Commanders' defense, which I actually thought played pretty well. Maybe you think I'm nuts for saying that, but once you actually analyze what went down, the commander's defense really was not that bad on Sunday afternoon. I also will talk about the multiple commanders-related reports from ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter on Sunday morning, uh, including one in which he says the commanders and San Francisco 49ers at the 2022 NFL Scouting Combine had the parameters in place for a trade of quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo to the commanders, but that, quote, the deal fell apart once the quarterback decided to have shoulder surgery, end quote. How would you have felt about that? The commanders trading for Jimmy G. Would you rather have Carson Wentz or Jimmy G as your commander's QB1? Uh, I think the answer is pretty obvious, but uh, we'll get into that a little bit later on in the show. Uh, you will on this show here. what Commander's head coach Ron Rivera had to say about that Adam Schefter, Jimmy Garoppolo report, uh, and much more. You'll also hear some good stuff from Carson Wentz. Uh, also on the show, I'll talk college football. Lots to discuss with Maryland's 34-27 loss at number four Michigan on Saturday afternoon. Virginia's 22-20 loss at Syracuse on Friday night. Navy's 23-20 double overtime win at East Carolina on Saturday evening. And James Madison's 32-28 come from behind win at Appalachian State on Saturday. And I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. Uh, The Nats over the weekend lost two or three games at the Miami Marlins, but did see first baseman Joey Manessis continue to mash Uh, His amazing run continues, and the Nats did at least guarantee that they will not have a 110-loss 2022 regular season. 109 losses is the most losses that the Nats can finish with, Uh, so yeah, at least there's that. Uh, The O's over the weekend lost two of their remaining three games in a four-game series against the American League-leading Houston Astros at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. The O's got an exceptional pitching performance from Dean Kramer in a four-hit shutout on Friday night, but uh, then had some bullpen problems on Saturday night and Sunday afternoon. Lots to talk about with the Nats and the O's. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback on the commanders of their loss to the Eagles. Email from Stanley Evans. Uh, right, Stanley, we all know it's not how you start, but how you finish. I've watched too much football to know one and two is not the end of the world, but this team makes it hard to believe that we are improving and moving in the right direction. Micah Parsons might break the all-time first quarter sack record next weekend against our pathetic offensive line. The entire coaching staff is to blame 
for this pathetic start to the season. We can blame players all we want, but Rod Rivera and company are the ones who put this roster together. If this is another embarrassing year, then heads have to roll. I mean, everyone should be on the hot seat. Nothing more embarrassing than division rivals having two home games against the Commanders. The D.C. fan base at home games is no more. When will it ever change? This is depressing, Goldie. LOL. Uh, thank you for the email, Stanley. Glad you can at least LOL, at least a little bit, uh, with what's going on here. Yeah, man, you know, it is frightening to think what linebacker Micah Parsons, who this season actually is being used a lot as an edge defender, might do against the Commanders in their game at his Dallas Cowboys this Sunday afternoon at 1. Micah Parsons set a new NFL record for most sacks over a player's first 18 career regular season games, 17 sacks. He over two games in the 2022 regular season has four sacks. We'll see what happens on Monday Night Football. Big one in the NFC East on MNF, as you likely know, the 1-1 one one Dallas Cowboys at the 2-0 and o New York Giants Monday night at 8-15. But there's no doubt. I mean, Carson Wentz got sacked nine times on Sunday afternoon. Who knows what Micah Parsons is going to be doing this Sunday afternoon. Uh, email from Rob writes, Rob, Al, WTF, I can't get my arms around it. What's wrong? Last week we said it's the defense, but I'm not so sure. I think the defense was in the game, but the defense didn't get much help from the offense. Do we have a personnel problem, a coaching problem? Oh, Al, they are one and the same. <laughs> uh, yes, Rob, when you have a coach-centric approach, as the commanders do, uh, personnel problems and coaching problems can all be the same thing. And that is the inherent concern with the coach-centric approach. Now, if it works, and it can work, it's beautiful. You have total organizational alignment because the man running football operations also is the man who is your head coach. But if you have someone who is overwhelmed or who doesn't excel in both the departments of player personnel and coaching, then you have problems. And uh, it remains to be determined whether Ron Rivera is going to succeed as the overseer in this coach-centric approach. But yeah, I mean, right now, you can't say that he's killing it, but we'll see. I mean, it's one and two. The commanders aren't, you know, two and 10. So let's let the season develop here. But there's no doubt. I mean, especially the first halves of the last two games, extremely troubling. The commanders have gotten outscored over the first halves of the last two games now, 46 nothing. Think about that, man. 46 nothing. Yeah, there are some problems with our football team right now. Well, if you are having any skin problems, uh, always know that Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Whatever your dermatological needs may be, call 301-396-3401 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Dr. George Verghese is a big Commanders fan. He's a loyal listener of this podcast. And operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland focus on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. If you're dealing with allergic reactions, if you're dealing with acne, psoriasis, or eczema, if you're interested in procedures like Botox, laser hair removal, or chemical peels, if you are dealing with skin cancer or have dealt with skin cancer or want to get screened for skin cancer, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery 
Institute of Maryland. Heck, Dr. Burgess and the Institute offer free skin cancer screenings in addition to offering advanced treatments for many skin cancers, including treatments that many other practices do not offer, like SRT, which is superficial radiation therapy. To find out more, call 301 396 3401. That's 301-396-3401. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. But call 301-396-3401. You can also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. For excellent and comprehensive skincare, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Ratings and reviews, they help out the podcast a lot. If you have never rated the podcast, please consider doing that. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can give the podcast a five-star rating. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can write a review of the podcast. The review does not have to be long, can be just a sentence or two saying that you like the podcast, but the ratings and the reviews do help us out. And thank you very much for doing the ratings and the reviews. So the Commanders are one and two, a 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. The number one reason for the loss, without question, was the commander's offense. Uh, It was horrendous, and there's a lot that was behind that. Uh, Let's start with the quarterback, Carson Wentz. Carson had what was easily the worst of his three regular season games as a commander's quarterback. A lot of that had to do with uh, the beating that he took, but he also just wasn't good. Uh, Commander's head coach Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday got asked about how Carson played. Uh, Here was Ron's answer. Well, I think he could have played better. I mean, that's, you know, that's the truth. (laughs) Yeah, that answer from Ron Rivera said a lot. Uh, Now, Carson Wentz on Sunday afternoon got pummeled Uh, to the tune of nine sacks and 17 quarterback hits. You know, you think about those numbers. uh, They are jaw-dropping. They are unacceptable, you know, in terms of totals for an NFL team to allow in a game. Nine sacks and 17 quarterback hits. That's embarrassing. Uh, Carson getting pounded like that had to do with several things. Uh, Bad offensive line play, yes. More on that in a bit. Uh, Bad scheming and play calling by offensive coordinator Scott Turner. Yes, I like a lot about Scott, but his inability and or refusal to scheme out of pressure, as we have seen in these nightmare first halves in back-to-back games now, is disturbing. I mean, where is the quick game? Where are the moving pockets for Carson Wentz? How about getting him on the run via some bootlegs and sprint outs? You know, why all of the dropbacks when it's clear that the dropback game isn't working? I don't understand what Scott has been thinking in the first halves of the last two games. The 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in Week 2. The Commanders in the first half got outscored 22-0, and Carson Wentz in that first half got sacked four times. The 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field in Week 3. The Commanders in the first half got outscored 24-0, and Carson Wentz in that first half got sacked six times. Like, what are we doing here? Uh, this was Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday on the pass rush that Carson Wentz faced. 
We, we missed some opportunities uh, to give him a little bit of time. He had some guys open, but uh, we didn't have time, and, and that's unfortunate. But also, you know, again, as I'll tell you guys, we'll look at it. We'll, we'll see whether or not we give him an, the opportunity to succeed with what we're, what we're calling. Yeah, what the commanders have been calling in the first halves of the last two games, given the pass rushes of the Lions and Eagles, uh, ain't working. Uh, but what's also true is that Carson Wentz himself on Sunday afternoon did not handle the Eagles' pass rush well, and he admitted to this during his post-game press conference. Carson took nine sacks, including two sack strips, uh, one of which resulted in a lost fumble. He did not handle the pressure well. Uh, Commander's third offensive drive resulted in a first-quarter punt, the sixth snap of the drive. Carson Wentz stood way too still in the pocket and then eventually stepped right into a third-and-five sack for an eight-yard loss. So the sack was split by edge defenders Brandon Graham and Hassan Reddick. Uh, commander's fourth offensive drive, second snap of the drive on a second and six for the Commanders at their 29. Carson Wentz tried scrambling off a shotgun play action drop back, but he lost the football for a second quarter loss fumble on what was officially a sack strip by edge defender Brandon Graham that was recovered by interior defensive lineman Javon Hargrave. The ensuing Eagles offensive drive resulted in quarterback Jalen Hurts' second quarter, second and nine, 23-yard Shotgun play action, touchdown pass to tight end Dallas Goddard on a screen. Ensuing extra point gave the Eagles a 10-0 lead. A commander's sixth offensive drive resulted in a second quarter punt, the fourth snap of the drive on a third and 10 for the commanders at their 20. Carson Wentz had the ball knocked out of his hand, but then recovered it uh, on a sack strip by edge defender Hassan Reddick. Uh, here was Carson Wentz during his postgame press conference on Sunday on the nine sacks that he took. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's culmination. Anytime there's, there's a number like that, that is not the O-line. That is not all the O-line. I got to be better. Uh, I got to get rid of the ball in a lot of those situations and um, find a way to just find a check down and move on and, and different things like that. So hats off to, the, to their D-line, their front. That's a good it's a good front. Um, but I got to be better and help our guys out. And I think it's a culmination also of uh, being down, you know, coming, try, having to come back, throw it, throw it around in the second half where those, that D-line can just pin their ears back and get after us. And so uh, we got to be better, especially especially early, so, so we can avoid some of that. And good for Carson Wentz for taking ownership of the sacks. Uh, he, during his postgame press conference, took ownership of his poor play multiple times. Six of the nine sacks of Carson came in a first half in which he was especially bad. Uh, Carson, in a first half in which the commanders got outscored 24-0, went 3 of 10 for just 24 yards and took six sacks, including two sack strips, one of which resulted Ada lost fumble. He had one carry for two yards. He quarterbacked a commander's offense that went just one of seven on third downs. Uh, commander's fifth offensive drive resulted in a second quarter punt, the fourth snap of the drive. Carson Wentz way off on a first and 10 under center play action and completion intended for Jahan Dodson. Sixth snap of the drive, Carson Wentz way off on a third and 10 deep shotgun and completion intended for Jahan Dodson. Uh, Carson on the play took a shot from edge defender Josh Sweat. Uh, Commander's seventh offensive drive resulted in a second quarter three and out. First snap of that drive, Carson Wentz threw way high on a first and 10 shotgunning completion intended for Curtis Samuel. Carson was better in the second half, but he still wasn't good in the second half. He in the second half completed 22 of his 33 pass attempts, but he threw for just 187 yards in the second half. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 5.67. How about this moment in the second half? Commander's 10th offensive drive resulted in an early fourth quarter turnover on downs 
Third snap of the drive, Carson Wentz had a third quarter, third and two, two-yard shotgun completion to J.D. McKissick. This play gave the Commanders one total net yard passing for the game. I mean, think about that. We are in the third quarter. Carson Wentz has a third and two, two-yard completion to J.D. McKissick, and that play put the Commanders into positive territory in terms of net yards passing for the game. One total net yard passing for the game at that point for the Commanders. I mean, that captures the ineptitude of the Commanders passing offense perfectly. Uh, Carson in the game did have three carries for 22 yards. I do think that Carson is more mobile than he gets credit for and actually can be a bit of a threat with his legs. Commander's 10th offensive drive resulted in an early fourth quarter turnover on downs. Fourth snap of the drive, Carson had a third quarter, first and 10, seven-yard shotgun scramble. 16th snap of the drive, first snap of the fourth quarter on a third and goal at the 14. Carson had a 13-yard shotgun scramble. Uh, But yeah, I mean, overall, this was not anywhere close enough to being good enough from Carson Wentz. And, you know, when you think about like what was going on with this game in terms of its principal storyline, you know, Carson Wentz facing his initial NFL team, the Eagles, the team that took him with the number two pick in the 2016 NFL draft, the team with which he spent his first five NFL seasons, 2016 through 2020. Did the emotions get to Carson Wentz? Did Carson get caught up in all of that? And did all of that negatively impact his performance? Well, here he was during his post-game press conference on Sunday on that. Yeah, once the, once the kickoff happened, it was football again. You know, it was kind of surreal uh, pregame, seeing all those guys, you know, the coin toss, seeing BG and Fletcher and Jason Kelsey. You know, I was right, right next to him for, for years there. And so uh, there's some surreal moments uh, for sure, especially early in the game. Uh, sorry, pregame. But uh, once the kickoff happened, it was football again. And we just uh, we got out executed. All right. Well, as we expected, there were a lot, and I mean a lot, of Eagles fans at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Paid attendance, 64,426. Here was Carson Wentz later in his press conference on Sunday on if the many Eagles fans in the stands got to him. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, I think they they just they got our number today. I don't think the performance was affected um, by that. You know, I've obviously been on that side of the ball. I know I know the Eagles fans travel well, and um, they showed up and they had a lot to cheer for today because we didn't we didn't play our best ball. I didn't play my best ball, and uh, hats off to them. Okay, and this was Ron Rivera during his post game press conference on Sunday on whether emotions got to Carson Wentz. I don't think so. I, I, I think they did some, some, some things that, you know, we should have been able to handle in Candler, and we didn't. And uh, that's really what it came down to. Yeah, and I think that Ron Rivera is right about that. The storyline of Carson Wentz facing his former team in the Eagles getting to Carson is an easy storyline. I don't get the sense, though, that that's what happened on Sunday afternoon. I mean, I think that Carson Wentz and his offense just didn't play well and their offensive coordinator did not coordinate well. I don't think anything that we saw had to do with like emotions or anything like that. Uh, for the record, we did have this exchange during Rod Rivera's postgame press conference on Sunday. Uh, the exchange was with columnist Barry Verluga of the Washington Post. Here you go. Ron, just to be clear, there's, there's no point during a game like this that you're thinking about a switch at quarterback. No, no, I'm not. 
Yeah, Carson Wentz was really bad on Sunday afternoon. It certainly wasn't all on him. I did not think that he deserved to be benched during the game. But, you know, the fact that a question like that even came up during Ron Rivera's postgame press conference on Sunday says something about how poorly Carson played. Uh, The Commanders' offensive line. So the Commanders were without their top two centers from last season. Center Chase Rulier is on the reserve injured list. He was placed on that this past Tuesday due to a reported right knee injury that he suffered in the loss at the Lions in Week 2. Center Tyler Larson is on the reserve physically unable to perform list. He has been on that since August 23rd due to an Achilles injury that he suffered in the loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field last December 12th. The commander starting offensive line for this game was Charles Leno Jr. at left tackle, Andrew Norwell at left guard, Wes Schweitzer at center, Trey Turner at right guard, Samuel Cosme at right tackle. The offensive line was not good. Uh, The commanders allowed the nine sacks and 17 quarterback hits. Charles Leno Jr. in particular had a bad game. He committed two costly full start penalties. I thought that a good number of Wes Schweitzer's snaps at center were not good, were uh, errant, and you saw Carson Wentz have to lunge for a good number of the snaps. Uh, Things were not good with the offensive line. And when you go through the sacks and other pressures, uh, the offensive line failed Carson Wentz way too often on Sunday afternoon. Commander's first offensive drive was the opening drive of the game, resulted in a first quarter punt. Second snap of the drive, Wes Schweitzer got beat by interior defensive lineman Jordan Davis, who had a leaping pass defense out of Carson Wentz, first and 10 shotgun play action and completion. Fourth snap of the drive, Carson Wentz took a third and five sack for a seven-yard loss. The sack was split by interior defensive lineman Fletcher Cox and edge defender Josh Swed, who abused Charles Leno Jr. on the play. Commander's second offensive drive resulted in a first quarter three and out. First snap of that drive, interior defensive lineman Fletcher Cox abused Trey Turner on a first and 10 sack of Carson Wentz for a six-yard loss. Second snap of the drive, interior defensive lineman Javon Hargrave abused Andrew Norwell for a second and 16 sack for a seven-yard loss. Third snap of the drive on a third and 23 for the Commanders at their seven. Charles Leno Jr. committed a three-yard false start penalty. Uh, Commander's 10th offensive drive resulted in an early fourth quarter turnover on downs. At 10th snap of that drive, Charles Leno Jr. committed a late third quarter, third and seven to five-yard false start penalty. 15th snap of that drive and the final snap of the third quarter on a second and goal for the Commanders at the Eagles four. Antonio Gibson, a disastrous under-center handoff run for a 10-yard loss. Blowing the play up was edge defender Josh Swed who beat Charles Leno Jr. Uh, Commander's 11th offensive drive resulted in a fourth quarter turnover on downs. The 12th snap of that drive on a second and 12 for the Commanders at the Eagles 16. Carson Wentz took a sack from edge defender Brandon Graham, who beat Samuel Cosme and got to Carson for a 10-yard loss. Uh, not a good game at all for the Commander's offensive line. And I get it. You know, you're down your top center in Chase Rulier. Uh, but still, I mean, you got to do better than what we saw on Sunday afternoon. And, you know, while we're talking about helping out Carson Wentz, the commanders in this loss to the Eagles were guilty of four drops. Uh, Receiver Terry McLaurin had a drop. Commander's 11th offensive drive resulted in a fourth quarter turnover on downs. The 13th snap of that drive, Terry McLaurin a drop on a Carson Wentz third and 22 shotgun incompletion. Receiver Jahan Dotson had a drop. That was shocking given how good Jahan's hands are and, you know, that he values having good hands so much that he walks around in everyday life carrying a football. But the commander's 10th offensive drive resulted in an early fourth quarter turnover on downs. The 11th snap of that drive, Jahan Dodson, a late third quarter drop 
on a Carson Wentz third and 12 shotgun in completion. And running back J.D. McKissick had two drops. Commander's seventh offensive drive resulted in a second quarter three and out second snap of the drive. J.D. McKissick a drop on a Carson Wentz second and 10 shotgun in completion on a ball that Carson did throw behind McKissick. Commander's 12th offensive drive, 12 plays, 87 yards resulted in Antonio Gibson's late fourth quarter second and goal one yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. Uh, eighth snap of that drive, J.D. McKissick a drop on a Carson Wentz Second and five, shotgun incompletion. Uh, the commander's passing offense in the loss to the Eagles was woeful, okay? Uh, there is plenty of blame to go around. There's no question about that. Well, some questions for you. Uh, have you had a hard time losing weight? Uh, have you perhaps lost weight, but then the weight came right back? If the answer to either question is yes, Dr. Matthew Mintz can help you. Dr. Matthew Mintz is a board-certified internal medicine physician and weight loss expert in Bethesda, Maryland. Dr. Mintz understands your frustration because he himself has struggled with being overweight. You see, there's a reason that most weight loss programs fail, and that's because the human body has evolved over time to prevent you from losing weight. And while these mechanisms were protective hundreds of years ago, today, these mechanisms just make weight loss extremely difficult. The solution is is medical weight loss. By using prescription medications that fight the factors that prevent weight loss, Dr. Matthew Mintz will help you achieve your weight loss goals. And not only will you lose the weight, but you'll keep the weight off. You see, Dr. Mintz does not use powders, shakes, or other special foods that you need to purchase. Instead, he uses prescription medications and personalized lifestyle changes, and he'll give you the support that you need to succeed. Dr. Matthew Mintz's medical weight loss program includes an initial in-person comprehensive evaluation, blood work, and a customized weight loss plan, in-person or virtual follow-up visits to keep you on track, a full year of phone calls and emails to answer questions or troubleshoot problems, and one year of prescription medications for weight loss. The good news is that many, if not all of these things, will be covered by or reimbursable through your insurance. Dr. Matthew Mintz, he has been in practice for over 25 years. He serves as clinical faculty at the George Washington University School of Medicine, and he is consistently ranked as a top doctor by Washingtonian Magazine. He is a huge Commanders fan and a loyal listener of the Al Galdi podcast. If you are ready to lose your excess weight the right way, find out more about Dr. Matthew Mintz's medical weight loss program by calling 855-646-8963. That's 855-646-8963. And make sure that you tell Dr. Mintz that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit drmintz.com. That's D-R-Mintz, M-I-N-T-Z, dot com. And click on medical weight loss. That's 855-646-8963 or drmintz.com. And make sure that you tell Dr. Mintz that Al Galdi sent you. The Commanders now are 1-2. and two. Uh, Their first loss in this 2022 regular season, the 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in Week 2, featured a very bad performance by the Commanders' defense. But the Commanders' 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon, to me, featured actually a pretty good performance by the defense, especially considering the circumstances. So the Commanders' defense for this game was without a number of of key players. Uh, corner William Jackson III was inactive 
due to a back injury. Uh, he was not listed on the commander's injury report on the Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday leading up to the game, but he then was added to the injury report on Saturday afternoon, was listed as questionable for the game, ended up being inactive. Uh, of course, edge defender Chase Young remains on the reserve physically unable to perform list. He's been on that since August 23rd due to the torn right ACL that he suffered in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field last November 14th. You had edge defender James Smith-Williams inactive for this game against the Eagles due to an abdominal injury. You had edge defender Casey Tuhill inactive for this game against the Eagles due to a concussion that he suffered in the loss at the Lions in Week 2. You had interior defensive lineman Daniel Wise inactive for this game against the Eagles due to a high ankle sprain that he suffered in the loss at the Lions in Week 2. You have interior defensive lineman Federian Mathis on the reserve injured list. He has been on that since September 12th due to a left knee injury, a reported torn left meniscus that he suffered in the first quarter of the win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in Week 1. So especially from a defensive line standpoint, the commanders were reeling going into this game. Uh, the commanders did get back safety Cameron Curl. He did make his 2022 regular season debut of having been inactive for the commanders first two games of the 2022 regular season due to a right thumb injury that he suffered in the preseason loss at the Kansas City Chiefs on August 20th. But like I said, the secondary was without corner William Jackson the third. So you had all of that going on. And then you had what had happened so far in the 2022 regular season. The Commanders through week two for the 2022 regular season, number 28 in the NFL in total defense for football outsiders DVOA metric. The Eagles through week two of the 2022 regular season, number five in the NFL in total offense for football outsiders DVOA metric. And look, there were negatives for the Commanders defense on Sunday afternoon. This was far from a perfect game that was pitched by the commander's defense. The commanders allowed Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts on 35 pass attempts to throw for 340 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. The commanders allowed receiver Devontae Smith to finish with eight receptions for 169 yards and a touchdown on 12 targets. Uh, Eagles' third offensive drive resulted in Jake Elliott's early second quarter 32-yard field goal for a 3-0 Eagles lead. Fourth snap of the drive, Jalen Hurts, a late first quarter, first and 10, 45-yard shotgun completion to receiver Devontae Smith on a great throw down the right sideline, although uh, this should not have been a catch. Uh, this ended up being a catch. Benjamin St. Juice technically got beat on the play, although his coverage really wasn't that bad, but the catch should not have counted. Smith never got his left foot down by the time that he had control of the ball. Commander's head coach Ron Rivera threw a challenge flag, but he threw the flag too late. Ron has to be quicker in a circumstance like that. He was not. Uh, Eagles' fourth offensive drive started at the Commander's 24 off quarterback Carson Wentz's second quarter loss fumble. Second snap of the drive, Jalen Hurts' second quarter, second and nine at 23-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to tight end Dallas Goddard on a screen. Ensuing extra point gave the Eagles a 10-0 lead. Uh, that touchdown pass to Goddard, a rough moment for Cameron Curl. He went low, missed badly on an attempted tackle of Goddard. Uh, Eagles' seventh offensive drive, 11 plays, 88 yards, consumed just one minute, 57 seconds off the clock, resulted in a Jalen Hurts fourth and goal, two-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Devontae Smith, who made a leaping catch in beating Kendall Fuller with time having expired in the second quarter, ensuing extra point gave the Eagles a 24-0 halftime lead. The seventh snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the Eagles at the Commander's 45 with less than a minute left in the second quarter. Jalen Hurts, a 44-yard shotgun bomb 
to Devontae Smith, who made a leaping catch and beating Kendall Fuller. So yeah, I mean, the commander's defense gave some stuff up in this game. You also had corner Rashad Wild Goose committing two pass interference penalties. No William Jackson the third meant that Rashad Wild Goose got substantial defensive snaps. And he on the Eagles' first offensive drive, which did result in a first quarter punt on the second snap of the drive, committed a second and 10, 23-yard pass interference penalty and covering receiver Quez Watkins on a deep route. And then on the Eagles' sixth offensive drive, which resulted in Jalen Hurts' second quarter, third and eight, nine-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver A.J. Brown, who beat Benjamin St. Juice on a slant. First snap of that drive, Rashad Wild Goose, a first and 10, 17-yard pass interference penalty and covering Quez Watkins on a deep route. But there were a number of positives for the commander's defense in this game. So the commander's pass defense actually did a lot of good things. The commanders only allowed Jalen Hurts to complete 22 of his 35 pass attempts. That works out to a completion percentage of just 62.86. And the commanders totaled seven pass defenses and three sacks. I thought that corner Benjamin St. Juice played well. He had three pass defenses in this game. I know that he gave some stuff up, but that's going to happen when you play corner in today's NFL. The Eagles' first offensive drive resulted in a first quarter punt. Fifth snap of the drive, Jonathan Allen, a pass defense and a quarterback hit out of Jalen Hurts' first and 10 shotgun play action and completion. The seventh snap of the drive, Benjamin St. Jude's great coverage on Quez Watkins on a Jalen Hurts third and five shotgun and completion intended for Watkins, off Hurts being pressured heavily via the blitz. Uh, the Eagles' second offensive drive resulted in a first quarter three out. First snap of that drive, the Commanders did a great job in pass coverage and of containing Jalen Hurts, who eventually slid for lost yardage on what was officially a sack by Jamin Davis for a three-yard loss. Second snap of the drive, Kendall Fuller, a pass defense on a Jalen Hurts second and 13 shotgun play action and completion intended for Devontae Smith. Third snap of the drive, Benjamin St. Juice, a pass defense out of Jalen Hurts third and 13 shotgun and completion intended for A.J. Brown. Eagles third offensive drive resulted in that Jake Elliott early second quarter, 32-yard field goal. Seventh snap of the drive, first snap of the second quarter on a third and eight for the Eagles at the Commanders 14. Benjamin St. Juice, a pass defense in the end zone and Cole Holcomb, a quarterback hit out of Jalen Hurts shotgun and completion intended for Devontae Smith. Uh, this play featured great coverage by St. Juice, who did an excellent job of staying underneath the route and then getting his left arm up for the pass defense. Uh, Eagles' eighth offensive drive, opening drive of the second half, resulted in a third quarter punt, fourth snap of the drive. Benjamin St. Juice, a pass defense out of Jalen Hurts, third and 19 shotgun incompletion. So there actually was quite a bit of good from the commander's pass defense in this game. The commander's defense, believe it or not, for a third time in as many games in the 2022 regular season, good on third downs. The commanders held the Eagles to just 5 of 15 on third downs. The commanders now in this 2022 regular season have held opposing teams to a mere 12 of 40 on third downs. Uh, the commanders stopped the run. You know, the commanders' run defense was not good over weeks one and two. The commanders' run defense on Sunday afternoon was good. Uh, the commanders held the Eagles to just 72 yards on 30 carries. That works out to just 2.4 yards per carry. Eagles' first offensive drive resulted in a first quarter punt. First snap of the drive, Jonathan Allen tackled running back Miles Sanders on a first and 10 
shotgun handoff run for no gain. Eagles' third offensive drive resulted in that Jake Elliott early second quarter, 32-yard field goal. Second snap of the drive, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne tackled Miles Sanders on a first quarter, second and five shotgun handoff run for a one-yard loss. Eagles' fifth offensive drive resulted in a turnover on downs. Eighth snap of the drive, Shaka Tony tackled receiver Zach Paschal on an under-center handoff run for no gain on a fourth and one. At the Commander's 8, Eagles' 11th offensive drive, the lone snap of the drive, a safety. On a first and 10 for the Eagles at their 1, Deron Payne tackled running back Boston Scott in the end zone on an under-center handoff run for a 1-yard loss and a safety to uh, cut the Commander's deficit to 24-2. But overall, to me, way more good than bad from the Commander's defense in this loss to the Eagles. Well, if your lawn is looking more bad than good contact Weedman. You see, Weedman cares for your lawn so that you don't have to. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great, fertilization, weed control, aeration, seeding, and a variety of other services. If you don't have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Let Weedman take care of your lawn and take advantage of a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $219. Uh, that's about $100 off the usual price for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. A beautiful spring lawn starts in the fall, so take advantage of this special offer and put Weedman to work for you. Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Uh, Weedman answers your phone calls and emails promptly. Weedman does what it says that it's going to do. And all of that sounds simple, I know, and all of that is simple, but all of that isn't nearly as common as it should be. Uh, also, Weedman uses superior products that really improve your soil. Uh, Weedman's products are of the highest quality. Uh, Weedman does not cut corners, and Weedman only treats what needs to be treated. If you're not satisfied with your lawn, if you're not satisfied with who is treating your lawn, get with Weedman and take advantage of this special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price in aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $219. Again, about $100 off the usual price for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. That phone number again, 571-340-3400. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so that you get the special deal. Uh, you could also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. More now on the commanders of them falling to one and two with the 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. It certainly didn't feel like it, but commanders receiver Terry McLaurin had a 100-yard receiving game on Sunday afternoon. He finished with six receptions for 102 yards on nine targets. Of course, so much of that came in the second half with the game more or less having been decided. Uh, receiver Curtis Samuel had seven receptions for 48 yards on 10 targets. Andy had three carries for 13 yards. He, on the very first offensive play of the game, had a 15-yard run. It's so funny looking back on that because the commanders on their very first 
offensive play of the game. Heck, on what was the first offensive play of the game, had a terrific run. A Curtis Samuel first and 10-15 yard under center handoff run in which he made edge defender Josh Sweat miss on an attempted tackle in the backfield. Just said, hey, okay, we're off and running. Here we go. This is going to be a good day for the commanders offensively. And uh, little did we know uh, what was to come. Uh, Because of the nature of the game, the commanders really didn't run the ball all that much. Uh, Running back Antonio Gibson finished with 12 carries for 38 yards, although he did have a touchdown. J.D. McKissick, three carries for eight yards. Uh, Gibson had one reception for two yards on one target. McKissick had six receptions for 32 yards on nine targets, although as I talked about earlier in the show, McKissick also had a couple of drops. Uh, We on Sunday morning in the hours leading up to the game had not one, but two reports from ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter regarding the Commanders. Now, if you have been a fan of the team now known as the Commanders for really any length of time, you are familiar with the Sunday morning report phenomenon. And that is the time-honored tradition of our football team being the subject of reports on the Sunday mornings of games. Okay, this has happened for years. This happened again this past Sunday with not one but two reports. So the biggest Schefter report regarding the Commanders on Sunday morning was this. Schefter reported that the Commanders and the San Francisco 49ers at the 2022 NFL Scouting Combine had had the parameters in place for a trade of quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo to the Commanders, but that, quote, the deal fell apart once the quarterback decided to have shoulder surgery, end quote. Uh, Schefter said that the trade would have involved multiple draft picks and that the disruption of the trade prompted the commanders to move on and trade for quarterback Carson Wentz. Now, Commanders insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington on Sunday morning then reported that per team sources, the commanders had had Carson higher on the commander's list of desired quarterbacks than the team had had Garoppolo on that list. Uh, Now, keep this in mind. You know, Ron Rivera has said that the commanders didn't realize that Carson Wentz was available via trade until the 2022 NFL scouting combine. So I do think that it's possible that the commanders were talking to the 49ers about Garoppolo and then realized that Carson was available and then also realized that Garoppolo was about to undergo shoulder surgery. But, you know, Ron at his postgame press conference on Sunday was not happy about this report from Adam Schefter. Take a listen to this exchange with Commander's Insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com. Before the game, there was an ESPN report that you guys were... That was a bullcrap report, okay? Just so everybody understands it. Okay, I didn't talk to anybody about that. Okay, I'm not sure where that all came from. I'm disappointed that came out like that, especially in today's game. You know, I really am. And and, and that's, you know, because I didn't talk to anybody about uh, about Jimmy Garoppolo. It seems like the timing in particular. No, I know. Ahead of the this. timing is what really upsets me. So how about that from Ron Rivera? Quote, that was a bullcrap report. I didn't talk to anybody about Jimmy Garoppolo. End quote. Then the final formal question that Ron got asked in his postgame press conference was a request for him to expound on being upset with the timing of the Garoppolo report. Here's what Ron said. Yeah, we're, we're getting ready to play Philadelphia. You know, that, that to me, that's, you know, really? No, just we're getting ready to play Philadelphia. Really? Come on. 
that, that's what I'm disappointed in. I really am, you know, because again, I think you know whatever it is for whatever reason, this the report's got to get. Does it really have to get out, or could it wait until after we finished our game then get it out? So, I'm just disappointed it got out. Okay, now right there, it kind of sounds like there might have been truth to the report with Ron Rivera saying, "quote I'm just disappointed that it got out." End quote. Uh, but Ron earlier in his postgame presser did say, quote, that was a bullcrap report. I didn't talk to anybody about Jimmy Garoppolo. End quote. I do think that the commanders probably did check in on Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, we know that the commanders were checking in on just about every potentially available quarterback this past offseason in the all-out search for a franchise quarterback. But I don't know how you wouldn't have reservations about Garoppolo. I mean, we talked about Jimmy Garoppolo on this podcast during the offseason in the lead-up to the commanders trading for Carson Wentz. And there are multiple reasons to be leery with Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, look, there's a reason that the 49ers have been trying to move off Garoppolo with Trey Lance, and now Lance is out for the rest of the season due to injury, and so Jimmy G is back as the Niners QB1. But just remember this about Jimmy Garoppolo. The guy has had a very hard time staying healthy, okay? Jimmy Garoppolo in the 2018 regular season played in just three games due to a torn left ACL that he suffered in September 2018. Garoppolo in the 2020 regular season played in just six games due to multiple ankle injuries. Garoppolo in the 2021 regular season missed a game due to a right calf injury and then missed another game due to a right thumb injury. And then Garoppolo underwent this right shoulder surgery on March 8th, 2022 for an injury that he suffered in the Niners' 23-17 win at the Dallas Cowboys this past January 16th in the wild card round of the NFL playoffs. Uh, This season is Garoppolo's age 31 season. You know, he's not a terrible quarterback, but he's not as physically gifted as Carson Wentz is. And if you want to talk upside, Carson possesses much more upside than Jimmy G does. And so to me, the commanders are better off with Carson. I know that, you know, this probably isn't the day on which to be saying that off the way that Carson played in this loss to the Eagles on Sunday afternoon. Although if you watch the Sunday nighter, it's not like Jimmy G killed it in the 49ers 11-10 loss at the Denver Broncos. Uh, The Niners uh, on Sunday night, one of 10 on third downs. Uh, But, you know, even if there is some truth to Jimmy Garoppolo having been on the commander's radar, I don't think that that is that big of a deal. And like I said, the commanders have said that they didn't know that Carson Wentz was available until that 2022 NFL scouting combine. Carson Wentz was not the commander's first choice for a franchise quarterback this past offseason, okay? Uh, Russell Wilson was, and we know that. And the commanders have essentially admitted to having tried to trade for Russell Wilson. So I don't know that this Jimmy Garoppolo report is like the bombshell that maybe some people think that it is. But the bottom line is this. Would you rather have Carson or Jimmy G? The answer to me is Carson. Now, the other Adam Schefter commanders-related report from Sunday morning had to do with the railing collapse at FedEx Field this past January. Uh, Schefter on Sunday morning came out with a report saying that Commander's Team President Jason Wright had called Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts this past January, a few days after what happened this past January 2nd, when, as you probably remember, a railing on the side of the tunnel leading to the visiting team's locker room at FedEx Field collapsed, 
Uh, this after Washington's 2016 loss to the Eagles, causing several fans to fall and hit the floor of the entranceway into the tunnel as Hertz was walking toward the tunnel. Now, according to Washington at the time, the area in which the railing collapsed was FedEx Field's ADA Accessible Section. ADA stands for Americans with Disabilities Act. The section per the team was designed to hold up to six wheelchairs and six companions, but was not built to carry a large load of fans. Uh, we this past January 4th had the emergence of Jalen Hurts having sent a letter to Washington. Uh, the letter also, interestingly, got leaked to the press. Boy, I wonder how that happened. Uh, the team said that Jason Wright received the letter and sent a private email in reply. And the letter, which to me was big time grandstanding, included the following, quote, I tried to handle the situation with a lot of poise and show compassion for the people that fell down, really, but I know it could have been so much worse. It kind of didn't hit me until after the fact, having some time to reflect on it and think about it. I just wanted to see what could be done to make sure it doesn't happen again. That's all I really care about, end quote. I mean, I got a kick out of that letter when that came out. Total grandstanding by Jalen Hurts, even though, yes, the railing collapse was a frightening incident and should have never happened, okay? And Washington deserves all of the criticism that the team gets for FedEx Field being in the condition that it has been in. But, you know, more than one thing can be true at the same time. FedEx Field can be a dilapidated mess and Jalen Hurts can be guilty of grandstanding. Well, anyway, Adam Schefter in his report on Sunday morning had the following on this phone conversation this past January between Jason Wright and Jalen Hurts. Quote, the two spent about one hour on the phone discussing the railing collapse and what could be done to prevent similar incidents in the future. The commander since have taken a number of steps to fortify that area of FedEx Field, a source told ESPN. The franchise has added security across the stadium, especially in areas near the field that are closer to players, while also repairing and fortifying the railings in those areas. The commanders also now ban people from entering restricted areas like the one where the railing collapsed in January. The team cannot comment on the situation situation because of ongoing litigation between the injured fans and the organization, end quote. You know, only with our team, only with our team, do we have a report in the hours leading up to a big division game about a railing collapse from last season. Uh, by the way, the collapsed railing was just another mishap at FedEx Field in the 2021 regular season. It was during Washington's first game at FedEx Field in the 2021 regular season, the loss to the Los Angeles Chargers in week one, that a pipe connected to rainwater storage broke and drenched a small section of fans. It was during Washington's loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field in week five that the smoke machine on the field for Washington player introductions went crazy, <laughs> causing the field to be filled with smoke. It was during Washington's win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football in Week 12 that the sprinklers went off in one of the executive suites at FedEx Field. Uh, the fans in the suite were moved to another suite to watch the rest of the game. How are we doing so far this season in terms of the dilapidated state of FedEx Field? Uh, hopefully at least a little bit better than last season. You know, the commander's play on the field on Sunday afternoon may not have been good, but hopefully nothing collapsed 
Nothing fell apart, and nobody got drenched at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Although, given all of the Eagles fans who were at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon, uh, well, never mind. <laughs> uh, up next, I'm talking college football, including a gutsy performance by Maryland in a loss at number four Michigan, crazy wins for Navy and James Madison, and another troubling loss for Virginia. Well, as you surely know, internet security and privacy are major issues. You perhaps have heard of VPN, which stands for Virtual Private Network. A VPN is a service that protects your internet connection and privacy online. I want to tell you about NordVPN. NordVPN keeps your internet connection safe and private and allows you to access region-locked content. With NordVPN, you can safely stream sports, television shows, and movies wherever you travel in the world. NordVPN is one of the most user-friendly VPN services on the market, so you can easily set it up on your smart TV or Apple TV and enjoy watching games with your friends and family. NordVPN shields your data from snoops and criminals, protects you on public Wi-Fi connections, and allows you to secure up to six devices on one account. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so that you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. And NordVPN has a threat protection feature that'll mean that you no longer have to worry about intrusive website ads and malware. In fact, even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes the file before it makes a mess of your computer. Go to nordvpn.com slash algaldi to get your subscription started. You can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan and get a free month. That's nordvpn.com slash algaldi. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. That's nordvpn.com slash algaldi. nordvpn.com slash algaldi. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, 
All right, time now to talk college football. Uh, wild wins for Navy and James Madison on Saturday. A tough loss for Maryland on Saturday and a tough loss for Virginia on Friday night. We begin with the Terrapins. They fell to 3-1 and overall and 0-1 in the Big Ten with a 34-27 loss at number 4 Michigan on Saturday afternoon. As Terps head coach Mike Loxley said after the game, there are no moral victories, and he is right about that. But that said, the Terps did put forth a very admirable effort as a 17-point underdog in multiple shops, especially considering the extent to which the Terps had gotten destroyed by Michigan in recent years. I mean, take a listen to these recent results. November 20th, 2021, Maryland lost to then number six Michigan 59-18 at Maryland Stadium in College Park. November 2nd, 2019, Maryland lost to then number 14 Michigan 38-7 at Maryland Stadium in College Park. October 6, 2018, Maryland lost at then number 15 Michigan 42-21. November 11th, 2017, Maryland lost to Michigan 35-10 at Maryland Stadium in College Park. November 5th, 2016, Maryland lost at then number 3 Michigan 59-3. October 3rd, 2015, Maryland lost to then number 22 Michigan 28 nothing at Bird Stadium in College Park. You get the idea. Uh, the Terps had routinely gotten smashed by Michigan for years. This loss at Michigan this past Saturday afternoon was not a blowout loss, although early in the game, it certainly seemed as if we might be on our way to a blowout loss for the Terps. The game began in disastrous fashion for Maryland as receiver Ty Felton had a loss fumble on his return of the game opening kickoff. And the very next play was a touchdown pass by quarterback J.J. McCarthy and the Terps were down 7-0 just eight seconds into the game. Uh, the Terps defense did ultimately have a rough game. You know, Michigan is a really good team, and you saw that on Saturday afternoon. The Terps allowed Michigan to amass 463 total net yards of offense and to average 7.02 yards per play. The Terps allowed Michigan to go 5-12 on third downs. The Terps got gutted by running back Blake Corum, who finished with 30 carries for 243 yards and two touchdowns. He averaged 8.1 yards per carry among the many killer carries by Corum. A fourth and one 33-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run with 22 seconds left in the second quarter. Ensuing extra point gave Michigan a 17-13 lead. The Terps' 13-10 lead in the second quarter marked the first time that Michigan had trailed in a game this season. Uh, but Corum also had a fourth quarter, third and four, 47-yard pistol handoff touchdown run. Uh, also, the Terps allowed quarterback J.J. McCarthy to go 18-26 for 220 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. Uh, as for Maryland's quarterback, Talia Tungavailoa, I thought that he had a mixed game. Uh, his final numbers, 20-30 for 270 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions. He took no sacks. He had four carries for 20 yards. Now, Talia's first interception should not have been an interception. He had a second quarter, first and 10 shotgun play action interception to defensive back DJ Turner, who in diving to make this supposed interception, to make this alleged interception, uh, trapped the ball on the ground. But the play inexplicably was not reviewed. I don't get that at all. 
Uh, to me, Mike Laxley could have and should have called a timeout in that spot to perhaps compel a review to take place, but uh, Lox did not call a timeout. Uh, Talia in the third quarter got smashed on a blindside hit. He left the game, came back into the game, uh, but then got pulled from the game in favor of Maryland's backup quarterback, the Wake Forest transfer, Billy Edwards Jr. Edwards actually looked pretty good, 5-9 for 62 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions, although he did take three sacks. Uh, Talia's last pass of the game was a killer fourth quarter second and four shotgun interception that came with the Terps trailing 27-19 and the ensuing Michigan offensive possession resulted in that Blake Corum fourth quarter 47-yard touchdown run. So, you know, there was some good from Talia Tungavailoa on Saturday afternoon, but there also was some not so good. Uh, The Terps running game uh, was mediocre. Running back Roman Hemby, 16 carries for just 48 yards. Running back Antoine Littleton, the second, eight carries for 39 yards and a touchdown. Uh, a few other things with this game. We had just two accepted penalties the entire game. Uh, the Terps had just one accepted penalty for five yards. The Terps in their previous game, the 34-27 win over SMU at Maryland Stadium in College Park on September 17th, had a jaw-dropping 15 accepted penalties for 141 yards. You know, penalties have been a problem for Maryland under Mike Loxley. Just one accepted penalty, though, on Saturday afternoon. And Michigan had just one accepted penalty for the game. One accepted penalty for 15 yards. And then a major bright spot for the Terps continued to be their kicker, the uh, Eastern Michigan transfer, Chad Ryland. He went 2-2 two two on field goals, and these were two 50-plus yard field goals. He had a first quarter 53-yard field goal and a second quarter 52-yard field goal, extending his streak of made field goals to 22, longest active such streak in the FBS. It is not an overstatement to say that Maryland has the best kicker in college football this season. This guy, Chad Ryland, is outstanding. So a lot to take in from this game if you are a Maryland fan like me. Uh, This was Mike Loxley during his post-game press conference on this seven-point loss at Michigan. Obviously, I uh, got to give credit to Michigan, um, top five program. Obviously, like I told our team, uh, we don't we don't believe in moral victories. You know, close is not good enough. Um, but I'm proud of the way our team fought. Um, I like the effort that we play with. Uh, we faced adversity throughout the game, including spotting them a touchdown there right at the beginning, which, you know, as I've said here, um, good teams don't need help. And we sure gave them a, a cheap, easy one right off the bat. Um, that with the opening cook up kickoff, um, obviously the, p- the positives in a game like this, and I thought our penalties went down. Um, we got a good pace of play. We got over 70 plays run on offense. And then I thought situationally on offense, we played good on third and fourth down. The thing we know is that you can't turn the ball over against good teams. Uh, we had two critical plays in the game, uh, fourth and one early in, late in the first half where we, uh, weren't lined up correctly. It gave them a cheap one. And then the third and five, when the game was right in its critical moments where we didn't have an edge to our defense, um, that's on us to, as coaches and as players to figure out um, when we have opportunities against good teams, how to execute at a high level. And today uh, we didn't do enough of that. We got to get that cleaned up. Um, I can't dwell on this game as a team. We can't dwell on this game, um, you know, because we got another great opportunity in the shell next week against a good Michigan State team that'll be coming in there. And and for us, we got to get the things corrected. Uh, We've got to go watch the tape and make sure that we've got the right people in doing the things that we need to do to to win games. Um, Again, I'd like our effort uh, by our team. We play for four quarters. I'd like to see us not give good teams 
the the opportunities that we gave Michigan um, and they took advantage of it, but definitely a, a step in the right direction for our program to be able to get this stuff fixed and, and, and get it fixed in time for uh, opportunity in the shell next week. Yeah, and next up from Maryland, home to Michigan State this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Look, at some point, Mike Loxley needs to win a game against a ranked Big Ten team. Upsets in college football happen all of the time. It is very frustrating as a Maryland fan to never see the Terps produce an upset over a ranked Big Ten team. But the Terps did battle at Michigan on Saturday afternoon. Hard to be furious uh, with what happened. If you are a Virginia fan, uh, you should be furious with what's happening with your quarterback, Brennan Armstrong. The Cavaliers fell to 2-2 two and two overall and 0-1 and in the ACC with a 22-20 loss at Syracuse on Friday night. Cavs trailed at the half 16-0, did then win the second half 26. But to me, the biggest takeaway is that quarterback Brennan Armstrong had yet another underwhelming game. Armstrong completed just 19 of his 38 pass attempts. His completion percentage for this season over four games now is just 52.14. Armstrong, over his 38 pass attempts, threw for just 138 yards. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of 3.63, which is horrendous. His yards per pass attempt for this season over four games now is a mere 6.06. Uh, Armstrong had one touchdown pass versus one interception. He, for this season, over four games, now has just three touchdown passes versus four interceptions. Armstrong, last season, over 11 games, 31 touchdown passes versus 10 interceptions. Uh, Armstrong on Friday night took four sacks. Armstrong on Friday night had a lost fumble. He does not look good off having looked so good last season. Uh, Now, Syracuse's offensive coordinator is Robert Anai. He was Virginia's offensive coordinator and inside receivers coach from 2016 through 2021. Syracuse's quarterbacks coach is Jason Beck. He was Virginia's quarterbacks coach from 2016 through 2021. So Syracuse may well have been operating with uh, some high-level intel on Brennan Armstrong, but still, it is not a good look for Virginia's new head coach, Tony Elliott, that he isn't getting from Brennan Armstrong close to what Virginia's previous head coach, Bronco Mendenhall, got from Brennan Armstrong last season. Uh, Remember, Elliott is an offensive guy. Uh, Elliott was an offensive assistant coach at Clemson for 11 seasons, 2011 to 2021, and he has worked with high-level quarterbacks. Elliott worked with Deshaun Watson. Elliott worked with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, The Wahoos running game in this loss at Syracuse was good. Running back Paris Jones, 13 carries for 87 yards and a touchdown. Running back Mike Hollins, two carries for 22 yards. A receiver Keaton Thompson had two carries for 10 yards and a touchdown. I was actually a little surprised we didn't see more running back Xavier Brown. He had just one carry for one yard. Uh, He and the Who's previous game, the 16-14 win over Old Dominion at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville, Virginia on September 17th, had nine carries for 88 yards. But Virginia overall did run the ball pretty well. The Cavs' defense on Friday night was good. Uh, The Cavs generated four takeaways, an interception, and three fumble recoveries. You know, Syracuse came into the game having not committed a single turnover in any of the team's three games this season. Cavs generated four takeaways in this game. Cavs totaled six sacks. Cavs held Syracuse to just five of 15 on third downs. Cavs held Syracuse to just one touchdown over five red zone possessions. The Cavs did a great job on running back Sean Tucker, who had just 60 yards on 21 carries. That works out to just 2.86 
yards per carry. Sean Tucker in the 2021 season set Syracuse's single season rushing record with 1,496 yards. Now, the Cavs did allow quarterback Garrett Schrader to go 22 of 33 for 277 yards and did allow him to have a first quarter third and 15, 17 yard shotgun scramble touchdown run, but Schrader had no touchdown passes. Uh, there's not a lot to complain about with the Virginia defense on Friday night. The defense was good. Uh, lots of penalties in this game. UVA had 12 accepted penalties for 105 yards, although Syracuse had 12 accepted penalties for 91 yards. And we did have some drama at kicker for Virginia. Kicker Brendan Farrell, 0-2 on field goals. He in the first quarter missed a 50-yard field goal attempt and a 48-yard field goal attempt. And he then got benched in favor of true freshman Will Betridge, but he in the third quarter had an extra point attempt that was blocked. Uh, Farrell in UVA's previous game, that win over Old Dominion, connected on a game-winning 26-yard field goal as time expired. Here was Tony Elliott during his post-game press conference on Friday night on this loss at Syracuse. It's tough. It's a tough locker room in there. There's guys looking for answers, and, and the, the truth is, you know, we can't we can't continue to lose to ourselves. We got 12 penalties. You know, we got some some critical mistakes by uh, some of our older guys. Um, you know, offensively, you know, we, we, another situation, a little adversity early in the game, and guys started to abandon their technique and, and and go away from the things that we've been teaching them to do and just trying to play ball. And and that's that's just not who I am. That's not who we are as a program. And and because of that, we're not playing complimentary football. You know, defense gave us some short fields. We couldn't capitalize. As soon as we hit a big play, then we have a, a mental mistake. You know, we have a holding call, a false start, something that gets us behind the chains. You know, and we knew going in, and we and we told them when we tried to prepare them today, there's going to be a lot of junk that goes on uh, in that interior with the multiple fronts. Hey, just stay the course. Don't abandon. That was one of the, the big points is, hey, don't, don't abandon the plan. Don't abandon your technique. And we had that issue. Uh, but I give, I give the guys credit, man. They fought back in the second half, and they started to have some success. And then you saw once a little bit of momentum, you know, what it does. Now, we didn't have the explosives uh, that, uh, that we're accustomed to and that we'd like to have, uh, but we found a way uh, to score some points. And defense kept us in the game long enough and kept giving us opportunities. Uh, but overall, when you have 12 penalties, okay, they turn the ball over four times, uh, and you don't come away with, uh, with points uh, off those turnovers like you should, then, then you haven't earned the right to win the game. And next up for Virginia at Duke this Saturday night at 7.30. Big win for Navy on Saturday evening. The midshipmen improved to 1-2 and two overall and 1-1 one and one in the American Athletic Conference. A 23-20 double overtime win at East Carolina. What a victory for the mids. They were a 16-and-a-half point underdog in multiple shops. And the mids so needed this win off having looked so bad during their 0-2 start. A season opening 14-7 loss to Delaware and FCS school at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis, Maryland on September 3rd. And then a 37-13 loss to Memphis at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis on September 10th. Uh, this double overtime win at ECU was some game. The game was tied at 3 through three quarters. Each team then scored 14 points in the fourth quarter. Each team then had a field goal in the first overtime, and then Navy won the second overtime, 3 nothing, and won thanks to kicker Daniel Davies, who came into the game without a field goal attempt in his collegiate career. Well, Daniel Davies in this game, 3-3 three three on field goals. He connected on a 37-yard field goal in the second quarter, a 29-yard field goal in the first overtime, and a 36-yard field goal 
in the second overtime. What a job by Daniel Davies. But the story of this win, in a lot of ways to me, was the work of quarterback Ty Lovatai as a passer. Uh, you know, Navy's rushing offense remained disappointing. The mids for the game, 66 carries for just 191 yards and a touchdown. That works out to just 2.89 yards per carry. But Ty Lovatai completed seven of his 10 pass attempts for 152 yards and a touchdown. He threw no interceptions, took just one sack. Lovatai had a fourth quarter first and 10, 65-yard under center play action touchdown pass to slot back Vincent Terrell Jr., the ensuing extra point tied the game at 10, and the snap prior to that touchdown pass was a Lovatai third and 10, 10-yard 10 shotgun sprint-out completion to receiver Jaden Umbarger. A big win for Navy. Uh, this was their head coach, Ken Diamatololo, after the game. Well, we need, I mean, yeah, we got our biggest game coming up next week, you know, going to Colorado Springs. And so this was a huge game for us, and I, I told our guys, I thought this was our this is going to have to be the biggest game this game because I feel like it would catapult us for the rest of the season going on the road against a really good team that's been playing well. If we could find a way to get a W here, I felt like it would catapult us. And that's been some of our discussions and some of our team meetings. But a big part of it is just to remember who we are. We're not a scrub program and we've won a ton of games. And just helping our guys to play with confidence and keep believing. And I'm just so proud of them just battling tooth and nail to the end. And this is, this is a huge win. Um, and I really believe it's going to catapult us to some great things. And next up for Navy at Air Force this Saturday at noon. And then how about James Madison, the Dukes of JMU, uh, playing their Sunbelt Conference opener, a 32-28 come-from-behind win at Appalachian State. JMU overcame a 28-3 second-quarter deficit, scored 29 unanswered points to end the game. Quarterback Todd Centeo only completed 16 of his 28 pass attempts, but he threw for 204 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. He had 18 carries for 61 yards and a touchdown. Had a big fourth quarter, third and nine, 18-yard shotgun scramble. Uh, JMU won despite going two of 14 on third downs. Uh, this was far from a pretty win for the Dukes, but what a comeback. Next up for JMU, home to Texas State this Saturday afternoon at 1.30. Well, thankfully, mercifully, the Nationals are done with the Miami Marlins this season. Uh, the Nats over the weekend lost two or three games at the Marlins, concluding a season in which the Nats went a horrendous 4-15 and against the Marlins. Uh, these are the same Marlins who, for the 2022 regular season, are just 63-90. and These are the same Marlins who we on Sunday learned are parting ways with manager Don Mattingly. Uh, the team announced that it and Mattingly have mutually agreed to part ways at the end of the season. The Marlins are not a good team, uh, but then again, uh, the Nats are not a good team, although they did play like a good team on Sunday afternoon. So Friday night, a 5-2 loss at the Marlins. Saturday evening, a 4-1 loss at the Marlins, but Sunday afternoon, a 6-1 win at the Marlins. For manager, Davey Martinez and the boys. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, Davey, the boys, uh, who now for the 2022 regular season are 53-99, and 99, meaning that they will not finish with at least 110 losses. The most losses that the Nats can finish with in the 2022 regular season now is 109. So the 1969 Montreal Expos franchise record for most losses in a regular season at 110 is safe. Uh, the incredible run 
of Joey Manessis for the Nats continued over the weekend. Uh, you know the story by now. Joey Manessis, a rookie in his age 30 season. Uh, this season had been his 10th minor league season. The Nats on August 2nd, what was 2022 MLB trade deadline day, selected the contract of Manessis from AAA Rochester off having traded right fielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell to the San Diego Padres. And Manessis has been nothing short of incredible. Uh, he in this series at the Marlins was an at starting first baseman at number three batter in all three games. Friday night, one for four with an RBI double, did strike out twice, but Manessis in an at's one run eighth at a two out opposite field RBI double to right field to cut the Nats deficit to 5 2. Saturday evening, Manessis one for four with a solo homer, and uh, it was off maybe the single best pitcher in baseball right now. Manessis in an at's one run first had a two out first pitch opposite field solo home run to right field off Marlins ace Sandy. Alcantara for a 1-0 Nats lead. And Sunday afternoon, Manessis 2-for-5 with a two-run homer and a single. And he made a very nice defensive play. Manessis in a Nats two-run first, a one-out first pitch, two-run homer to center field for a 2-0 Nats lead. The homer went a projected 405 feet per stat cast. Manessis in the top of the fifth, a two-out opposite field single to right field. And Manessis in the bottom of the first, a really good spinning and sliding stab of a well-hit grounder off the bat of Miguel Rojas on a ground out for the second out. Joey Manessis had never played in a major league regular season game until he was called up by the Nats on August 2nd. He over exactly 200 major league regular season plate appearances now has the following slash line, a batting average of 326, an on-base percentage of 360, and a slugging percentage of 583. The guy has an OPS of 943. He has been outstanding. You really cannot say enough good things about Joey Manessis and the job that he has done at the major league level for the Nats over the last uh, month and a half now, almost two months at this point. A uh, good series for C.J. Abrams. Uh, he was an at starting shortstop at all three games in this series at the Marlins. Abrams on Friday night as an at's number nine batter, two for three with a double and a single. Abrams in the top of the third, a single on a grounder to right center field. Abrams in an at's one run eighth, a leadoff double to right field on a one-two pitch. Uh, Abrams on Saturday evening as an at's number six batter, one for three with a bunt single. Abrams in the top of the second had his bunt single. And Abrams on Sunday afternoon as an at's number six batter, three for four with a double, an RBI single, and another single. He did commit a fielding error, but Abrams in the top of the second, a leadoff first pitch single to right field. And he had a stolen base, although he then ended up being out on a fielder's choice off the bat of Victor Robles on a very strange play. Robles put down a bunt uh, off which it appeared that Abrams scored. But what ended up happening was that Abrams was ruled to have not actually touched home plate despite sliding into home plate. And Abrams ultimately was ruled out. The Nats did challenge the play, but Abrams was confirmed to have been out. But anyway, he did have a single in that inning. Abrams in an at's one run fourth had a one out double down the right field line. Abrams in an at's two run eighth, a two out full count opposite field RBI bloop single to left field for a four nothing Nats lead despite it having been down at the count of 1.12. One, uh, that fielding error by Abrams came on a grounder by Miguel Rojas to begin the bottom of the sixth inning. C.J. Abrams was arguably the top prospect acquired by the Nats in their six-player package from the Padres for Juan Soto and Josh Bell. Abrams, for this month of September, has a batting average of 307. Now, his on-base percentage for the month of September is only 316, so he's not drawing many walks, but he is racking up a bunch of hits. Uh, Davey Martinez, during his post-game session with reporters on Sunday afternoon on C.J. Abrams. 
he's staying on the he's staying on the ball really well. He's not trying to do too much. Um, you know, he's really trying to stay stay in the middle of the field. Uh, when you do that, you know, and you hit you get a changeup, you can stay on the ball a little longer. And and he's hitting a couple balls down the line, but um, he's having good at bats, which is good. You know, he's he's really trying to cut down on his chase, um, and and he's done a lot better with that. And it's giving him an opportunity to get better pitches to hit. Yeah, so some good stuff from C.J. Abrams in this series. Some good stuff from Lane Thomas in this series. The Lane train, uh, he was an at-starting right fielder and number one batter in all three games in the series. Friday night, Lane Thomas, one for four with a solo homer. He and the Nats, one run first, smashed a leadoff homer on a line drive to left field for a one nothing Nats lead on the second pitch of the game. You know, Lane Thomas in this 2022 regular season has 17 home runs. Uh, Saturday evening, Thomas did go 0 for 4 with three strikeouts as uh, he got owned by the great Sandy Alcantara. But then Thomas on Sunday afternoon, 2 for 5 with a double and a single. Uh, Thomas in an at two run first, a leadoff single to left field on an 0-2 pitch, and he had a stolen base. Thomas in an at one run ninth, a one out first pitch double under the glove of Marlins third baseman Jordan Groshans. Uh, Lane Thomas in this month of September has the following slash line. Batting average of 284 on base percentage of 360, slugging percentage of 477. So Joey Manessis, C.J. Abrams, and Lane Thomas were all position player positives to varying degrees for the Nats in this series at the Marlins. Uh, Then there was the Nats starting pitching in this series. Uh, Josiah Gray in game one was not good for a fourth consecutive start. I really do not like the way that Josiah Gray's 2022 season is ending here. Uh, Gray in the 5-2 loss at the Marlins on Friday night did not give up a home run for the first time in 14 starts, and he only issued one walk. So those things were good, but he ultimately allowed four runs in six innings. Uh, He gave up eight hits, two doubles, and six singles. He issued two hit-by-pitches. He recorded three strikeouts. He, over his six innings, threw a lot of pitches, although he did throw a lot of strikes. uh, 92 pitches, 61 strikes, versus 31 Bulls. Now, Gray did begin his outing in rough and somewhat unlucky fashion. He had a one-run Marlins first, gave up a leadoff double to John Birdie to left field on a ball that went right past the Nats starting third baseman on Friday night, Cesar Hernandez. Gray then issued a hit-by-pitch of Brian Anderson on an 0-2 pitch that actually seemed to go off the knob of the bat of Anderson as opposed to actually having hit Anderson. And then Gray gave up a first-pitch RBI double to Garrett Cooper off the left-field warning track to tie the game at one. So there's no excusing the double that was given up to Cooper, but the double that was given up to Birdie and the hit by pitch of Anderson, there are definitely some things that you can say about those things. Uh, but still, Gray gave up a run in the bottom of the first. Josiah Gray now in the 2022 regular season has a first inning ERA of 7.33. He routinely has gotten off to bad starts in his starts. And for Josiah Gray in this 2022 regular season, 27 starts, ERA of 5.17. I mean, the ERA is well above five at this point. Uh, he also has allowed a major league worst 37 home runs and has issued a national league worst 64 walks. The guy is talented. There have been positives for Josiah Gray this season, but like I said, his season is not ending in a good way, and some of the numbers are uh, rather gruesome. Uh, Eric Fetty, he too is not ending his 2022 season in a good way. Uh, Fetty in game two of this series was not good for a fourth time in five starts. Fetty in the 4-1 loss at the Marlins on Saturday evening, four runs in five and two-thirds innings. He gave up nine hits, a homer, three doubles, and five singles. He issued a walk. He recorded four strikeouts. He over his five and two-thirds innings threw 94 pitches, 57 strikes, 
versus 37 balls. Now, Fetty was the victim of some questionable defense. He and a Marlins two-run first gave up a two-out, two-run single to J.J. Blade on a ball that landed in the right center field gap between center fielder Victor Robles and right fielder Lane Thomas, each of whom seemed uncertain about who was going after the ball. That was not a good look for those two guys. And Fetty in a Marlins one-run six gave up a two-out infield single to Brian De La Cruz on a slow chopper to third baseman Ildemaro Vargas, uh, who did not charge the ball and then made a poor throw to first base. Uh, But still, Eric Fetty not having a good 2022 season at this point. Fetty in the 2022 regular season now, 25 major league starts, ERA of 534, a whip of 157. And keep in mind that Eric Fetty over his first nine starts of the 2022 regular season had an ERA of 355. Uh, The numbers have come tumbling down for Eric Fetty as his 2022 season has gone on. But a Nat starting pitcher who is ending his 2022 season in a good way is Anibal Sanchez. Uh, Anibal, in Game 3 of this series at the Marlins, pitched well for a sixth time in seven starts. He in the 6-1 win at the Marlins on Sunday afternoon. Tossed five scoreless innings. Uh, he gave up just two hits, both of which were singles. He issued two walks. He recorded four strikeouts. He over his five innings through 95 pitches, 57 strikes versus 38 balls. Anibal Sanchez in the 2022 regular season, 13 major league starts, ERA of 406. But understand that Anibal over his first six major league starts in the 2022 regular season had an ERA of 720. He now is on the verge of ending this season with an ERA under four of that having seemed to be laughable at one point. Uh, The Nats in March signed Anibal to a minor league contract. He actually made their season opening rotation, but the Nats on April 10th had to put Anibal Sanchez on the 10-day injured list with a cervical neck impingement. The Nats on May 3rd transferred Anibal to the 60-day injured list, and it wasn't until July 14th that the Nats returned from rehab and reinstated Anibal from the 60-day IL. It certainly took him a while to get going, but he has gotten going. He has been a lot better lately. I give the guy full credit. Uh, Davey Martinez during his post-game session with reporters on Sunday afternoon on Anibal Sanchez. You know, he's going to go out there and compete, you know, when he's, uh, when, when he's on. You know, he mixes all his pitches up. Um, when he attacks the strike zone, uh, gets ahead, he's, he's, he's done really well. So um, he's been pitching really well. I mean, I, you know, I don't – he goes out there and I just, I just watch him just, you know, mix all his pitches up and um, get out. So what does it mean that Anibal Sanchez is ending his season in such a good way? Well, maybe not much. I mean, this is his age 38 season. Uh, He could leave the dance this coming offseason as a free agent. But I'll tell you what, it is at least somewhat encouraging that the Nats have fixed Anibal Sanchez as this season has gone on because the Nats so rarely in recent years have fixed pitchers. And if the Nats are going to get back to having good pitching, then the Nats need to prove themselves adept at fixing pitchers. And so maybe this is a good sign in that regard. Although, as we just discussed, Josiah Gray and Derek Fetty have gotten worse as this season has gone on, not better. Uh, And also, maybe possibly, Anibal could be back with the Nats next season as a potential trade chip, i.e. he's part of the team in the first half of the season, pitches reasonably well, and then you can flip him come the 2023 MLB trade deadline. But it's hard to have a ton of faith in Anibal Sanchez, given his age, given the way that he pitches. You know, he's not a strikeout pitcher. He pitches to contact. He throws a lot of pitches, and he puts guys on base. Uh, The Nats bullpen in this series at the Marlins was, for the most part, good. Friday night, three Nats relievers combined to allow one run 
unearned in two innings. Saturday evening, two Nats relievers tossed two and a third scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Uh, Jordan Weems, one and a third perfect innings with two strikeouts. Steve Ciszek, a scoreless bottom of the eighth with two strikeouts. Uh, this was off him on Friday night tossing a scoreless bottom of the eighth. And Sunday afternoon, four Nats relievers combined to allow one run in four innings. Erasmo Ramirez, a scoreless bottom of the sixth. Hunter Harvey, scoreless bottom of the seventh. Carl Edwards Jr. did allow a run in the bottom of the eighth. Gave up a leadoff homer by Lewin Diaz. But Kyle Finnegan, a scoreless bottom of the ninth. Next up for the Nats, a three-game series against the National League wildcard leading Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park. Game one, Monday night at 7.05, Corey Abbott will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday night at 7.05, Paolo Espino will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three, Wednesday night at 7.05, Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, a crazy weekend for the Orioles. They lost two of their remaining three games in a four-game series with the American League-leading Houston Astros at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Thursday night, a 2 nothing win. Friday night, a 6 nothing win. Saturday night, a wild 11-10 loss. This game was bonkers. The O's lost this game despite having 17 hits including four home runs, two of them by Anthony Santander, who, as the Orioles starting right fielder, number three batter, went three for five with two homers and a single. Uh, the Orioles closer, Felix Batista, he in a four-run Astros ninth, was charged with four runs. Batista this season has been so good, but uh, he was not good on Saturday night. And then on Sunday afternoon, a 6-3, 11-inning loss. Uh, the Orioles' offense in this game, not good. Uh, the O's had just eight hits, a double, and seven singles. Worked just one walk, struck out 15 times. Although, the O's did go 5-10 with runners in scoring position, but Keegan Aiken got charged with four runs, three earned in the top of the 11th. So the O's now are 79-73, and 73, four games behind the Seattle Mariners for the American League's third wildcard spot. Time is running out on the O's to make the playoffs. So the O's have 10 games left in the 2022 regular season. But of course, the fact that I just said time is running out on the O's to make the playoffs, uh, that statement would have seemed ridiculous back in April. So that the O's are even in this position to begin with, uh, is a minor miracle. You know, this has been a successful Orioles season, regardless of what ends up happening the rest of this season. Uh, so the Orioles' bullpen was not good over the final two games of this series against the Astros, but the Orioles starting pitching in games one, two, and four of the series, really good. Uh, we on Friday's show, episode 406, talked about the gem from Kyle Bradish in game one of the series. Bradish in the 2 nothing win over the Astros on Thursday night, eight and two-thirds scoreless innings, with 10 strikeouts versus no walks. He gave up just two hits, both of which were singles. Then we had Dean Kramer in game two of the series, and he was sensational. Kramer in the 6-0 win over the Astros on Friday night, a four-hit shutout in a masterful performance. Uh, the four hits that he allowed were a double and three singles. He had six strikeouts versus two walks, and he was pitch efficient and threw a lot of strikes. He threw 106 pitches, 70 strikes versus 36 balls, and he did all of this against an Astros team that came into the day number six in the majors in team-weighted runs created plus for the 2022 regular season at 112. 100 is league average. Anything above 100 is above average. Uh, Kramer doing what he did on Friday night made it so that the O's had a starting pitcher last for at least eight and two-thirds innings in each of three consecutive games. 
first time that that had happened since September 1995. The run of Orioles starting pitching last Wednesday through Friday. Really something. Remember, Jordan Lyles in an 8-1 win over the Detroit Tigers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards last Wednesday night. Second career Major League complete game. He allowed one run in nine innings. You had Lyles on Wednesday night, Kyle Bradish on Thursday night, Dean Kramer on Friday night. Just tremendous stuff from those three guys. And, you know, with Dean Kramer now, 2022 regular season, he at the major league level, 20 games, including 19 starts, ERA of 307. This is his age 26 season. This is a guy who the O's got from the Los Angeles Dodgers in the trade package for third baseman slash shortstop Manny Machado in July 2018. And this is a guy who last season was horrendous at the major league level. Dean Kramer in the 2021 regular season at the major league level for the O's made 13 starts, totaled 53 and two-thirds innings. He had an ERA of 755. The O's during the 2021 regular season twice demoted Dean Kramer to Triple A Norfolk. And yet, Dean Kramer this season has been so much better. Uh, Really good stuff from Kramer on Friday night. Uh, And then we had what Austin Voth did in Game 4 of this series. Uh, Voth in the 6-3, 11-inning loss to the Astros on Sunday afternoon. Uh, One run in five innings. So, you know, not as dominant as Bradish or Kramer, but still good stuff from Austin Voth. He had six strikeouts versus no walks. Uh, He gave up just four hits, a double, and three singles. He threw 83 pitches, 55 strikes, versus 28 balls. So for Austin Voth now with the Orioles, 21 games, including 16 starts, 78 innings in ERA at 277. And the Austin Voth story by now is well known, but it bears worth repeating. The O's on June 7th claimed Voth off waivers from the Nationals. Uh, Voth for the Nats over four plus major league regular seasons, 2018 to 2022, an ERA of 570 over 181 and two-thirds innings. A vote for the Nats in this 2022 regular season had an ERA of 10-13 in 18 and two-thirds innings over 19 games. And yet Austin Voth for the O's has been tremendous. Again, an ERA of 277 over 78 innings. Uh, another note regarding Orioles pitching from the last few days, and this is not good news. Uh, Tyler Wells' 2022 regular season likely is done. Uh, The O's on Friday afternoon play starting pitcher Tyler Wells on the 15-day injured list retroactive to September 20th with right shoulder inflammation, likely ending his 2022 regular season. Uh, Wells' 2021 season ended with him out due to right shoulder inflammation. He was on the 10-day injured list from September 25th, 2021 to October 5th, 2021 due to right shoulder inflammation. Uh, Wells was on the 15-day injured list from this past July 28th to September 7th due to lower left side discomfort. He, at the time of going on the 15-day IL, had an ERA of 390 over 20 starts in the 2022 regular season as he has been making the transition from reliever to starter. Uh, Wells had made three starts since coming off the 15-day IL. The results had been mixed. I think overall, this has been a step-forward season for Tyler Wells. I mean, again, making the transition from reliever to starter. Uh, This was only his age 27 season. This is a guy who the O's got from the Minnesota Twins in December 2020 in the 2020 Rule 5 draft. So another example here of the Orioles developing starting pitching, Uh, but it is disappointing that Wells uh, would seem to be out for the remainder of the 2022 regular season. Although, if the O's somehow make the postseason, then maybe we do see Tyler Wells pitch again this season. Uh, In terms of individual offensive standouts for the O's over the weekend, I mentioned Anthony Santander's great performance on Saturday night. Adley Rutschman had a big game on Friday night. He in the 6-0 win over the Astros as the Orioles starting catcher and number two batter. Three for three with a solo homer, an RBI double, a single, a walk, 
and a stolen base. A Rutschman in an Orioles one-run fourth, a leadoff homer to center field for a 1-0 Orioles lead. The homer winner projected 407 feet per stat cast, and then Rutschman in an Orioles five-run seventh, a one-out RBI double to left field on a 1-2 pitch for a 5-0 Orioles lead. And then Rutschman in the 11-10 loss to the Astros on Saturday night as the Orioles starting DH in number four batter, two for five with two singles. Uh, but Gunnar Henderson in the series, 0 for 13 with one walk. Uh, this was his first truly bad series at the major league level since the O's brought him up on August 31st, which tells you about how good uh, Gunnar Henderson has been. Next up for the O's, a four-game series at the Boston Red Sox. Game one, Monday night at 7-10, Jordan Lyles will be the Orioles starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday night at 7-10, Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles starting pitcher. Game three, Wednesday night at 7-10, Dean Kramer will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And game four, Thursday afternoon at 1:35, the O's have not yet named a starting pitcher for that game. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 408. We'll have a lot more on the commanders of them falling to one and two with this uh, hideous 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field. We on Monday, we'll have the day after the game press conference of Commander's head coach, Rod Rivera. Also on Tuesday's show, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles, and that's on Monday night at 7.05. We'll begin game one of a three-game series against the National League wildcard leading Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park. The O's on Monday night at 7.10. We'll begin game one of a four-game series at the Boston Red Sox. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Before the game, there was an ESPN report that you guys were... That was a bullcrap report, okay? Just so everybody understands it. Okay, I didn't talk to anybody about that. Okay, I'm not sure where that all came from. I'm disappointed that came out like that, especially in today's game. You know, I really am. And and, and that's, you know, because I didn't talk to anybody about um, about Jimmy Garoppolo. It seems like the timing in particular... No, I know. Ahead of the this. timing is what really upsets me. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.